0: give grace to the humble. So I ask you, God, to do a deep work in my heart and break me. Break me of my pride. Break me of my selfishness. Break me of anything that keeps me from knowing you. As hard as it is to ask God, do whatever it takes to break me. Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, as we're continuing our series, Dangerous Prayers, Dangerous Prayers. We uh, took a break last week uh, from our series, and we uh, were blessed to have Brother Chris Woodley with us, Uh, Chris and Carol Woodley, our missionaries to the Philippines. Uh, He was able to share with us uh, his heart for the Lord, uh, but also just a great challenge to us as well as we are followers of Christ. And so this morning, we're kind of getting back into our series, Dangerous Prayers. Uh, Two weeks ago, we discovered that when we open ourselves up to God in an honest and real way, exposing all that we are, the result is an amazing growth in intimacy with Christ. I'll say it again. I said it two weeks ago. I'll say it again. Before we even get into the dangerous prayer of this week, we have to understand when we come to God We need to come open. We need to come honest. We need to come real. Uh, It is so easy to sit in church and to just kind of go through the motions. Uh, To pray when everyone else is praying by just bowing your heads, but not really praying. Uh, To think about what's going on before you. To sing the words on the screen without really singing them. To hear the words of God preached without really hearing them. And some of you sitting there, you kind of know what I mean. And I can tell you I know what it sounds like because I've been there. Um, we used to do chapel twice a week when I was in Bible college, and, and there was a lot of times where I would sit in chapel and I would just be completely disconnected. I mean, here are these pastors are coming all over, from the, all over the country, all over the world to preach to us and teach us, and, and I remember sitting there thinking just about what was going to be for lunch. I'm just being honest. I just would just drift off, and I wouldn't really connect with what was going on before me. We'd sing the songs, and it was kind of like, okay, I'll stand and I'll say the words because everyone else is doing it. We'll all pray, and so I'll bow my head, and, and I'll think about prayer for a few moments, and then I'm drifting off to something else. And so in church, it's, it's not like this magical place where now distractions go away. It's not like a magical place where, where our minds decide, okay, all right, I'll give you the next 45 minutes, I'll leave you alone. That's not how that works. We have to discipline ourselves by allowing God's spirits to instruct us. that we're going to say, you know what, no. I'm making a conscious choice. No, no matter how amazing yesterday was. I'm just throwing that in there. No, one, no one's going to follow me on that one. Okay. No, may, no, no matter what happened yesterday or what happened later today or what's going to happen, rather. Lord, I'm going to make a conscious choice that for this time, I'm going to just be before you. And have you ever thought about that for a moment? Like when you, when you go before God and you open up his word, and you begin to read his word, it's as though he's reading it with you. And I've always heard people say, man, if I could have just been back in Jesus' day, if I could have sat at the feet of Jesus, if I could have walked as the disciples did with Jesus, man, then I would be different. Then I would really know Christ. Some of them spent years with Jesus, and still at the end, didn't get it all. I think because they chose to not always be connected. Jesus is teaching and they're worrying about who's the greatest among them. To the point where they're arguing about this and Jesus leaves the room and they look around and go, where did Jesus go? Because they were so consumed about who was best among them. Jesus said, I don't have time for this. My father has a plan. I need to go see to my father's plan. And so if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in all kinds of stuff. We even come into church And we don't really go before God in an honest and real way. Just be transparent to him. Man, we think sometimes I got to put on this front and I got to do this thing and I got to put on the show and God's not about that. God wants your heart open before him so he can do what he needs to do in your heart to change you to the image of Christ. And he will do it. But he never forces us, does he? He invites us. He initiates, he provokes us, he encourages us if we know Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit, but he never makes us. He says, hey, I'm just, I'm I'm doing everything. All you need to do is just open up. And here's the crazy thing. He knows it all anyway. You ever pray to God and you're done praying and you knew there was something you should have said to him, but you didn't because you were worried about how he would respond or how he would think about it. And you realize, wait, he already knows. You ever been there in prayer? I've been there. You get to the end of your prayer, and, man, it sounded really theological. It sounded really sound, and everything was good. And God, just that uh, Holy Spirit, and I can't explain it. It's not an audible voice, okay? But it's just this moving of the Spirit where God's like, are you, are you going to bring that up? You're going to bring it up, or do I need to bring it up? Because we've got to talk about it. And you're just sitting there like, oh, um, uh. And then we think, oh, man, what am I going to do? How is he going to respond? We just open up before him. And so for the next, this morning and, and next week, we're going to go through the two more dangerous prayers. And they're only dangerous. They only push us if we open ourselves up to them. If we're real before God. As I said before, we found out that if we will open up ourselves to him, the intimacy that is available to us is unexplainable, unimaginable. We prayed two weeks ago for God to search me, to reveal my fears and uncover my sins. When we cry out to him in those ways, he will lead us in the way everlasting. So my first question us this morning, and just for yourself between you and God, are you praying, God, search me? Are you praying dangerous prayers or are you praying self, say, safe prayers? I said it last week, most of our prayers are safe prayers, right? Or rather two weeks ago. Most of our prayers are things like, God bless me, right? God protect me, God provide for me, God watch over me, God keep me at peace. Basically, we're saying, God, just make my life as comfortable as possible. Don't allow anything to try me, don't allow anything to test me or push me. Don't make life difficult in any way, shape, or form. Just make my life as comfortable as possible so that the end game of my life is I'm as happy as possible. Because isn't that really the goal of the Christian walk, just for God to make me happy? And I think, no, that's not the goal of the Christian walk. The meaning or purpose of my Christian faith is to honor God in all things, to glorify God in all things, and to enjoy His relationship with me, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we pray prayers that don't necessarily reflect the meaning of our life. We don't pray, God, put me in a situation where I only can rely on you for everything. We don't pray those kind of prayers. God, st- what do we sing in the song? Strip it all away. Do you ever think about that? We all sang the words, by the way. Everyone in this room, even those on the stage singing, said, Lord, strip it all away. What if you actually prayed that and God actually did that? What if God actually answered your prayer and said, okay, I'm going to strip it all away. I'm taking your house for a season. I'm taking your comfort of your finances for a season. Not to punish you, but to encourage you in faith. I'm going to strip these distractions away that you're asking me. You're praying for more intimacy. I can't leave the distractions and grow you in intimacy. One of them's got to give. I've said it before. We can say, God, make me like Jesus or make my life easy. We can't pray both. Now, I'm not saying God's in heaven going, I'm going to make your life as miserable as possible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is sometimes God has to strip it away so we remember the point of this life. And my point is this. We all just sang those words. We all just sang them because they were on the screen. But did you actually stop to think, what if God actually did that in my life? Would I actually be mad at him? Would I be upset that he dared to take things away that make my life more comfortable? Or would I be excited to see how God is going to fill in the gap? We read stories like Job, and we think, oh, man, Job's faith. What an amazing character of faith that just walked with God and wouldn't reject God. And we can argue, Job had his issues. Job got down to the end and looked at God and said, what, what, what's the deal? And then God reminded Job of what? His true position. <laughs> you want to ask me questions? You can answer my question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I breathed creation out? Oh, you weren't there? Okay, I guess you really can't ask me questions then, can you? And I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically, and what did Job say? When God was done, chapter after chapter of explaining his glory and his majesty, Job says, I'm just going to shut my mouth. I love that. Do you ever think about that? Job gives all these questions. Why, God? God says, well, let me tell you something first. Who I really am. Gets to the end of it. And Job says, man, I just, I'm just going to sit in silence. Because I realize I have no right to question you. I'm not saying God doesn't want our questions. I'm saying we better be careful because sometimes we think this life is more about us than it is about him. And we start telling God, make my life as easy as possible. And he's going, I, I, I mean, you can't pray, be a follower of Christ, and make my life easy. It doesn't work that way. This morning... We're going to step into it a little bit more, and I can tell you that I, I believe in all of our lives there's what I call anchor messages or anchor moments in our Christian faith. They're, they're messages or things that, that came to us at a certain point in our Christian walk, and they just they anchored us in our faith. They anchored us to the Lord in some way. And I want these messages, whether it be searching me, whether it be this morning of breaking me, or whether it be next week of sending me, I pray that one of these will be an anchor message for you, will be a message where you allow God to shake away all the stuff, all the extra, and just say, God, it's all about you, and whatever that looks like, I'm good with. See, this morning, we're talking about a prayer to God, for God to break me. This story that we're going to read is one that is so amazing. We see a woman who was willing to be broken and poured out for Christ. It's a familiar story, but I want but one I believe that is powerful and impactful. Uh, Mark chapter 14, look at verse 3. Mark chapter 14 and verse 3. It says, In being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. I'm going to ask that we would pray. I just ask God to speak to us this morning as we desire to be broken to the glory of God. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that as only you can that you give us wisdom in these things. Lord, we're going to pray as we did two weeks ago that you would search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. That you would reveal my or uncover my sins and that I would r- reveal my fears to you that you could be the one that I repent of my sins to and the one that I give my fears to, trusting in your perfect love. I pray that you would lead us in the, the way everlasting. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would that you would break us. That you'd break us of our pride. Break us of our arrogance. Break us of our sin. Break us of our stubbornness. Lord, maybe for some, break us of our independence. We think we do it all. We think we're the one in charge. We control it. And Lord, I pray that as only you can, by the working of your Holy Spirit, that you would break us. Not that we would be left broken, but that once we are broken, we could be mended. That you can bring us back together and that you would be glorified. Father, I know these are difficult topics to walk through. But I pray that for us, Lord, we would see the joy in the results, the intimacy that comes, the value that comes. I pray that we would realize it's worth it. And so, Lord, again, may you be glorified in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we see this woman comes and she breaks this alabaster box. And many of us have heard this story. There are songs written about this very moment. It's a beautiful act of worship. It was unrequested. That's why it's so beautiful. Uh, Jesus never asked for her to do this. Jesus did not say, if you want to worship me, do this. Give me this gift. She, of her own desire to worship him, did the only thing she thought was equal in value, as much as she could come up with, to worshiping him for who he was. And isn't that really what worship's all about? It's not so much God saying, okay, I want this, now do it for me. It's about me saying, as a desire of my heart, I just want to worship him. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to give him worth or value in my life. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I can. That's why uh, giving of an offering has to be an act of worship, not obligation. Uh, Giving of an offering has to be an act of worship, not a religious duty or a religious obligation or just a ritual we do. Because if I give for any other reason than a pure act of worship, I'm actually going to grow bitter in my relationship with Christ. And here's what I mean. If I give because I'm forced to give, if I give because I have to give, I give because I'm obligated to give, and I'm not giving with a joyful, cheerful heart, as Paul says, then what's going to happen is I'm going to grow bitter in my relationship with God because I'm going to say, you keep asking more of me. You want more of me. You know, it's not fair. This is my money. We start developing this actual bitterness in something that should be worshipful. And here this woman just comes and says, this is, all, this is the most valuable thing I have. And I'm going to give it to you as an act of worship. I'm going to break this open and I'm going to pour this out. This perfume, what we would consider basically perfume, rather, that is poured out on Jesus' head is so expensive and valuable. The reason is because it is so very rare. Ordinary women, culturally speaking, did not wear perfume. Because it was so expensive. And if they did, it was a very rare occasion. We also see later in the story that the perfume cost roughly one year's income. And think about that. This woman who did not have the greatest reputation. Let's believe this woman was a prostitute. A sinful woman. Came to Jesus in just humility. And many believe repentance and just just gave all that she had. And isn't it amazing, some in the group were shocked. You don't see many that were like, wow, what an amazing act of worship. I mean, I want to follow that example. I want to be like her and just pour everything out for Christ. No, you see people getting upset. Well, why did you do this? I mean, who are you to do this? Why do you think you can do this? Man, I mean, we could have done much more with this. Completely missing the whole point. Completely missing the point about she understood who Jesus was. And so I'm going to walk through this just a little bit more, and then we're going to connect it to our own lives, how we too need to be broken and poured out for Christ. So who is this woman, and why did she do this? Two keys about this gift, if you're taking notes. Two keys we have to notice about this gift. The first thing we have to notice is that her gift represented her past. Her gift represented her past. Some have suggested that this perfume is what she would have worn as her calling card to men in her profession. Basically put, culturally speaking, when she would walk by a man and they would smell this perfume, that would be kind of their, hmm, okay, I got it. I know what you do. I know who you are. Could you imagine that? The very thing that many believe was her calling card to her profession of sin is what she surrenders to Christ saying, I'm done. It represented her past. She was symbolically giving up her very livelihood as an act of worship to Christ. I mean, think of it this way. To be a prostitute in this culture was not a desired profession. Nobody wanted to do this profession. Culturally speaking, it was a profession of shame. And she was most likely looked down upon, tormented, just mocked and ridiculed for her profession. And we don't know why she did it. Isn't it like us to just start assuming why? Well, I mean, come on. She didn't have to do that profession. I'm sure she probably does it because she wants to. We don't have much sympathy for people in that profession, do we? We don't have much Christ-likeness, do we? We judge them and ridicule them and mock them and make fun of them. I'm telling you, in this culture, it's not like she as a little girl was like, that's my dream job. We don't have any idea why she followed this profession. Maybe she felt she had no other choice. Maybe she felt it was the only way that she could provide for herself or maybe she had a family. We don't know why she did this profession. But the point is, it doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is she came broken to Christ, repented. That's what many believe this is an act of repentance. And poured out her past and said, I'm done. And isn't that the greatest symbol of repentance? What is repentance? I'm turning from my sin and turning to Christ. She said, man, I'm going to pour this out. This is my calling card. This is what gets me my jobs. And I'm breaking it, pouring it out because I'm done. I don't want it anymore. I want you, Jesus. Jesus. I don't want this past life anymore. But even today, when people make that decision, it's hard for them to let their past go, and it's even harder for Christians to let them let their past go. I want you to hear what I just said. It's, it's hard for people who make a decision of repentance to let their past go, but it's even harder when Christians won't let them let their past go. Man, we like to put people down because we think it elevates us. And then we say things like this. Hey, we all sin, but I would never do that. What does Paul say? Man, go humbly because that could be you. Isn't that what he tells us? Go humbly to one that is in sin because guess what? Tomorrow you can be in that ditch too. We think we're so like separated. We're so insulated from those things. We are all temptable. And so we don't look and say, I can't believe they would ever, blah, blah, blah. Sin is sin, and I'm not saying we don't call it sin, but we better be guarded in our attitudes towards the person. And if that person is desiring to know more about Christ, we don't get in their way. We invite them to Jesus Christ. And if they repent of their sins and turn from their sins, then we are their biggest cheerleader. And we encourage them to walk with Christ. And we walk with them. And we disciple them. If it's a man and you're a man, you disciple them. If it's a woman and you're a woman, you walk with them. And you encourage them. And you support them so that they won't go back to their old way of living. You remind them that they are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And we need to allow people to come to Jesus. Not because we dictate how it looks, but because we allow Christ to work in their lives. She was full of shame. Think about it for a moment. In this culture, women hated her. Women would have hated this woman because of her profession, and men would have abused her because of her profession. Hated by women and abused by men. Until, as one author said it, she met a man that treated her so different than any other man. We're not going to read the whole story, but when you read what takes place here, Jesus' response to her gift is amazing. He showed her honor, respect, kindness, and hear me now, appropriate love. Her response to this man was fitting in her mind and maybe even felt like it wasn't enough. Do you ever come to Christ and you just pour everything out, your whole heart poured out before him, and you still feel like, God, that's just not enough? That's good. That you feel that way because it really is never enough, is it? Can we ever really praise him like he's worthy of? I mean, think about the gospel for just a second. I know some of you have been saved for many years, but think about the gospel for just a second. Think about the magnitude. And this is what we do in Christianity. We get so distant from the gospel in time, we start losing, it starts losing its effect on us. We stop forgetting how sinful we really were before Christ. how how destitute we really were, and how afflicted by sin. But think about the magnitude of the gospel. Jesus Christ leaves the realms of glory, takes on flesh, is born of a virgin in a stable, to a low, poor, nobody family grows in, not, in, in nothing, grows in just kind of this vague sense of nobody knows who he is. Nobody's worshiping him for who he is. He finally decides that it is time to declare his ministry, and he is mocked and ridiculed at every turn to the point of ultimate mocking and ridicule on the cross. He dies on that cross, a murderous death for the sins of creation buried in the tomb and rises again and still people reject. He ascends to heaven 40 days later and still 2,000 years later people reject him. Think of what Christ did for salvation and for you and yet we feel as though sometimes that just showing up to church is enough. But that's just good and I put five bucks on the plate. I mean come on pastor what do you want? I've done my part. I've given my two hours of church. Now you want me to actually minister to my neighbor? You want me to serve in that ministry? Whoa, well, well, no, time out. If it's taking family time, I ain't got time for that. If it's taking vacation time, I'm sorry. But you want me to go to a foreign field, learn another language, live in just filth? I could never do that. Well, that's fine. He's not going to make you He's just saying, hey, however you feel, you need to respond to me in worship. You follow that. But even when we do all those things, and we're doing those things for his glory and his honor, not out of obligation to keep our salvation, but just as an act of thankfulness, do you ever just get down to the end and just go, God, it's still not enough. It's never going to be enough. And so what does he ask us to do? He asks us just to keep surrendering, keep breaking, keep pouring out because it's for his glory as an act of worship. This woman offered this gift that represented her past, but I believe her gift represented her future as well. I believe she was symbolically not just giving up on her old life, but beginning a new chapter of surrender to Christ. This is an amazing picture of saving faith, repenting of the old and joyfully sitting and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. How much did she pour out? All of it. She poured out all of it. Not some, but all. She desired to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. We see this woman broke and poured out her gift at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. In the very same chapter, we see another example of being broken and poured out. Go all the way down to verse 22. Verse 22. I need to grab a tissue. I'm not just wandering off the stage where's it going? It's just disappearing. Can I leave too? Okay. Verse 22 says this. And as they did eat, Jesus took uh, bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had supped, given thanks to give to them and said, drink all of it. He said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. I mean, this is a beautiful story of the Last Supper. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's right in the same chapter as another issue of being broken and poured out. Jesus says, this is my body. And he says, my body is broken for you. My body is broken. Then he says, and my blood will be poured out. My body is broken. And my blood poured out. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples at the Last Supper that they will share together, that he is going to offer himself as a sacrifice to God, a gift that will be broken, his body, and poured out his blood for the sealing of a covenant between God and man. A new covenant, one of salvation, one of grace. And he says, I'm going to be broken and poured out for you. And I just mentioned it with the gospel, but do you ever stop and just think about what it took for Jesus to make that decision? Did he have to be broken and poured out? Did God the Father force him to be broken and poured out? Was he just an unwilling kind of follower in the whole process? Or did Jesus make a conscious decision to say, no, I'm going to do what's needed, that salvation can be offered to my people? And he willingly allowed himself to be broken, and he willingly allowed his blood to be poured out. He said, I'm doing this because this is what you need. This is the greatest need of humanity. And it's a gift. We use the word sacrifice. Do you know what a sacrifice is in the Old Testament? It's an act of worship. This woman came and broke and poured out her gift as an act of worship. Jesus shows us later in the same chapter that he is going to break his body and his blood is going to be poured out as an act of what? Worship to the Father. A gift offered to all of mankind. And he's doing it willfully and even joyfully, Hebrew says. But he doesn't stop there. As overwhelmed, and it better be overwhelming, let me just say that, as overwhelming as it is that Christ would lower himself down and allow himself to be crucified on the cross for my sin, to offer himself for me. How many of you know yourselves pretty well? You know yourself pretty well. Raise your hand. You know yourself pretty well. Raise your hand. Okay, some of you don't have your hands raised at all. You don't know yourself at all. Okay, all right, cool. That's good. How many of you don't like raising your hands in church? Raise your hand. Don't like raising your hands in church. Okay. (laughs) All right. Just checking. I know myself pretty well. Scary thing is I don't even know myself as well as God knows me, right? Like I know myself and then there's how much God knows me. You know, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, right? It's deceitful. He says, who can know it? Well, I don't know the full depths of the deceit of my heart, but God does because he created it. And he saw sin come into humanity, and he sees the ravaging effect of sin on human life. He knows how broken we really are. Not brokenness and humility to him and surrender, but broken in sin. He knows how imperfect we are. He knows how disgusting we are, naturally speaking. And yet he's still left heaven for us. And I am just, I'm overwhelmed by that, but I'm more shocked by Christians that when you talk about things like that, they just go, well, yeah. uh mm-hmm. well, yeah. yeah, I know. Like, you know, the mail came. Okay, yeah, I'm good. Like, it makes no difference. Oh, yeah, I know, Jesus died for me. And you just keep living your life as you want. Yeah. Do you really know I mean, do you really know, like, or do you just think you know? Like, I don't I'm not trying to challenge anyone's salvation. I just want you to think if you know what he did for you and you say you've received it and you keep living your life as though it's all about you, man, either you don't really know, or you've not really searched the scriptures to see what that should look like. Man, I can't there's now listen, do I try to live my life in my own way sometimes? Yep. Yep. And then I'm reminded by what he did for me, and I instantly realize, man, God, how foolish. How ridiculous. There's a difference between that and just continually doing what you want, thinking that as a Christian you can live your life however you want and be cool with it. Man, do you know? What does the Bible say? Have you not heard? And Jesus gave everything for you, and he doesn't force you. He says it's an open invitation. Would you just follow me? Again, we we try to talk about discipleship in a lot different ways than what Jesus did. We've made discipleship more about just read the Bible a couple times a week and go to church once a week. Put some money in the offering plate. That's discipleship. That's a follower of Christ. Tell, Tell somebody about Jesus as long as it's completely safe and comfortable and there's no chance of them arguing with you. That's what discipleship looks like. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower... And you will not take up your cross to die on that very cross. Self-sacrificing love for me. I don't want you following me. Jesus says, you want to go to your dad's funeral instead of following me right now? Don't follow me. You want to go sell that piece of land so then you can come follow me? It's probably better you don't follow me because you'll just quit. That sounds so harsh. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus said following him looks like. Why would he be so, so kind of hardcore with us? Because discipleship is not a casual, I pick up Jesus and I put Jesus down and I pick up Jesus. Following Christ, I don't know. Maybe I'm too literal on this. When Jesus said, follow me, I kind of think he meant follow me. Like, I don't, I'm not a very smart guy. Like, there's a lot I don't know. But when Jesus says something like, Follow me. I don't see a lot of wiggle room there for what that... I think it just means follow him. And I don't think it means casually. He seems to imply it's all the time. And why would he dare to ask something like that? Because, well, I don't know, he gave everything for us. Maybe he has the right to ask that of us if we have him as our savior. But it doesn't just stop there with telling us that he's going to be broken and poured out. Go over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We see a parallel to this story, and I want to focus on something here that I think is so important. Luke chapter 22, look at verse 19. It says in verse 19, again, Luke's account of the Last Supper. Says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus tells them to remember with imitation, to remember with imitation. In Luke's account, we see this phrase, this do in remembrance of me. This is the same phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11 when speaking to the topic of the communion in the church. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we supposed to do in remembrance of him? Right? If Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it is vitally important that we as his followers understand, okay, so what am I supposed to do in remembrance of you? I believe that the do this in that verse is referring to the gathering of the church to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion which we celebrate, we come together and we read from 1 Corinthians 11 and it says that my body is broken and my blood is given and this do and remember it's me. And we think, okay, the gathering together and celebrating the Lord's Supper, taking of the elements, taking of the the bread and taking of the drink and that that's what the do this is. But the more I've studied that, I don't know if that's all it is. So hear me now. I think that's what it is, but I don't think that's all that it is. Jesus said, do this. After he said what? My body is broken for you. Jesus said, I'm broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So could it be maybe Jesus wasn't saying we too must be broken and poured out as an act of worship to God as his followers? Maybe Jesus was saying in the same way that I'm broken for you, you need to be broken for me. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I believe it is gathering for the Lord's Supper. I don't think that's a, a misunderstanding of Scripture, but I don't think it stops there. And I think when it does stop there, we see kind of the shallow Christianity we see in sometimes in, in our world today. This becomes the, the... I'm pointing down here, for those of you that are new or don't know, this is where the communion usually goes. So if you're like, why does he keep pointing at the stairs, talking about communion, I'm kind of confused. We go up the stairs? Well, what's this about? Okay? This is where the table usually is. That's why I'm referring to this. But... When we take of those elements, it's not just I'm taking of this and I'm remembering he did it for me, and then I go out and I live how I want. It's saying in the same way his blood was poured out and his body was broken, I need to be a living memorial to what Christ did. I need to be broken. I need to be poured out. Once we realize that we are broken of anything that distances us from him, we will empty ourselves out. I want to give you a word of encouragement because everything I just said, we all can just agree with and say, that's fine. And I agree with that. Yes. Jesus was broken for me. Jesus was poured out for me. I I see that I need to be broken and poured out, but here's the encouragement that I want to give you. Because when you think about something that's broken and poured out, you don't picture something pleasant, do you? Like you picture a vase that's been broken and pieces laying everywhere and liquid running everywhere. And you're like, I don't want that to be my life. See, here's the thing: when I break, when I'm broken in Christ, He mends me together. And then, when I pour out my life, I'm emptying out my vessel. And the truth of Scripture is, an empty vessel is able to be filled. Let me say that again: an empty vessel is able to be filled. We must be empty of ourselves to be filled of Him. We must be empty of ourselves to be filled of Him. Two references I want to give you guys, and I usually don't go there and do a lot of reading, but I want to go there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. So go there, and then we're going to go to uh, Colossians in just a moment. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says this, "...and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." Then he says in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God. Isn't that difficult? This is one of those things where you wish the Bible didn't say what it said. Don't you wish it said giving thanks always for some things? Wouldn't that be an easier passage to live out? Nope, it says all things, all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage, but verse 18 is really we want to kind of camp on for just a moment. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Because what follows the idea of being filled with the Spirit? It says, singing and making melody in your heart, right? Singing to yourselves. That's not a great translation when it says yourself, because we think of what? When you hear yourself, what do you think of? singing to myself, singing to my own heart, okay? It's saying yourselves. Another, a better translation would be one another. It's talking about the church. As we're gathering together, we're filled with his spirit, and then we're singing and worshiping and encouraging the church, okay? Again, there's a part of that passage that's pretty black and white, right? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Again, this is where we're like, well, I don't know, brother. It's pretty black and white. Okay? It's pretty obvious. Don't give control of yourself over to a substance. Give it over to the Holy Spirit. Right? In the same way, when somebody is drunk with a substance, it controls them. That should be enough to make you stop if you have an issue with alcohol because it controls you. You don't control it. And if you're giving yourself over to that substance, it controls your actions and your behaviors and your thoughts. Paul's point is, hey, rather than that, submit yourself, be full of the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to lead your thoughts, your actions, your behavior. That's the point Paul is making here. But then he goes on to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing in one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. See, these two passages are similar passages, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. And here's the point, that when I empty myself out, I pour myself out, I'm now full of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We are filled by his Spirit when we are broken and poured out. We are filled by the church or others when we are broken and poured out. When we allow ourselves to be broken of all of our sinfulness and pride and all the things that distract and we allow ourselves to be mended and then full of the Spirit as we pour ourselves out, we're full of the Spirit and then the church fills us up. Isn't it beautiful that an empty vessel is able to be filled? We're full of the Spirit and the church fills us up. And that's why he says, the author of Hebrews later, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because you need to be filled up. You need to be encouraged. And I love that both of these contexts do not happen at your house, by yourself. Both of these contexts are involving the church. One author said it this way, and I love this, as we continually talk about how can we be the church, here's the truth. To be broken and poured out is difficult. And if you're thinking it's not, you've never really experienced it. Because to be broken and poured out and to be empty and to be filled means that people need to know you're empty and need to know you need to be filled. Which means you need to be transparent with people. Which means you need to be honest with people. You need to allow people to speak into your life. And that takes a ton of courage. It takes a ton of discipline on our own lives to say, I'm I'm not going to allow pride to keep me from being filled today. One author said this, We impress people with our strengths, but we most connect with people through our weakness. We impress people with our strengths. Man, they're so good at this. They're so good at that. I really think so-and-so is great at this. And we impress people with our strengths, but we most connect with people through our weakness. Dr. Henry Cloud said it this way Have you ever wondered why your tear ducts are in your eyes? When I first read that, I thought, No. It's never been a thought that's ever crossed my mind. I've never been sitting around and go, Honey, have you ever wondered? Never. It's never been a thought. But Dr. Henry Cloud says it this way Have you ever wondered why your tear ducts are in your eyes? Your tears could come out of anywhere. And that's a weird thought. start crying and just waters look like a sprinkler is going off you know I pick the ears because that's a safe place to go okay if you went anywhere else the altar is open that's all I'm going to say the altar is open but I love his point here our tears why did God design our tears to come from our eyes he says this could it be that God in his infinite wisdom designed your eyes to be where your tears come from so that someone can look you in the eye while you're hurting to love on you. Man, that's good. Have you ever thought about that? That when you're crying and tears are coming out, it's your eye to eye with another human being who's just connected to you. And they're just loving on you while you're just broken before them. I can be transparent with you guys. When I started as a pastor a youth pastor in 2005 and senior pastor in 2012. Uh, there's some in this room that can relate because we've been broken together. And I'll never forget there was a situation in late 2006 sitting in a meeting room where we just were so broken, a couple of us. And we left that room and we went into an office and we just wept. Man, I'm, talk- I'm not talking like, you know, that kind of weeping. I'm talking like snot bubble weeping. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You know, that good stuff there, and it's just running down, and just trying to get it before it gets in your lips. You know, it's like that kind of crying, man. And it was, there was three of us, three men. And it was this moment where I felt, man, Lord, this sucks. <laughs> Let's be real, right? Like, Lord, really? But can I tell you that in that moment, as the three of us in this room, this is what I took out of this. I felt more close to those men than any other time. I was like, man, we're in this thing together. And in my ministry here, there has been a lot of ups and downs. A lot of different situations. I had no idea what lied ahead. I'm sure there was a few times where Sandra was like, is there like a like a clause in this contract where I can get out of this? Like how? You know, when I first asked her, I said, hey, do you want to? I know I'm going into ministry. You know, we were engaged, and I said, hey, I said, if and I had a man tell me it was so wise. He pulled me aside when I was in Bible college, a friend of mine's dad. And he said, when I got engaged, he said, can I I give you a word of advice? And, of course, I'm just like, yes, please. I have no idea what I'm doing, okay? And he said, before you get married, make sure your wife is called to full-time ministry, not just willing to follow you. And I thought, I had never heard that before. I've always heard, you know, the wife follows the husband's lead, and as long as she's willing to follow her husband, we're good. And this man told me, he said, if she's not called, she'll follow for a season, but will end up being bitter. But if she's called, then you're in it together. And I just was like, okay. So Sandra can attest to this, I called her and I said, hey, are you called to full-time ministry? Please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. (laughs) I couldn't call her right away because this was back in nights and weekends. So I had to wait after eight o'clock, you know, and get on the, (laughs) you guys know, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about call anytime you want Skype. What is that? It's not a long distance relationship. We wrote letters. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so but I respect this so much. I called her and I said, hey, I said, are you, are you called to full-time ministry or are you just willing to follow me? And I love it. She's like, I don't know. I'll pray about it and get back with you. That's literally what she told me. And I was just like, oh no. So I started praying Lord in heaven hallowed be thy name. Okay. <laughs> but when we got married, we got in the ministry, you know, and it, there's been so many blessings. Guys, I can't even begin to explain to you the amount of joy in serving the Lord. But I'll tell you, honestly, God has broken me through some things and I'm so thankful for it. Because when I entered ministry, I thought I had this picture of what it was going to be like. And man, we had some road bumps, There were some things that God took us through, and you know what? It wasn't God authored, but God used it to break me, I believe, to break us, and to draw us so close to Him and to show us what ministry really could look like. And to be honest, if you're being honest, you'll agree with me on this. God is still breaking me. God is still breaking away all these things. It's not a one time thing, but an ongoing process. And to be honest, I'm so thankful for it. Not that I enjoy being broken. It's not what I'm saying. But I am so thankful because of his, on this side of the brokenness, I see his love and grace in new ways. Life's greatest blessings. I truly believe, rather, life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. I think that's true. I think that's true from Scripture. I think that's true in my own life. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. But if you're here this morning... Here's where you're at. If you're being honest, you're sitting there and you're like, I don't want to pray that prayer. I don't want to pray to be broken. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not going to pray for God to break me because I don't want to go through seasons like that in my life. But here's the truth. The truth is, as a follower of Christ, God has to break areas in our life so that we may follow him more closely. You see, this idea of being broken is not advanced Christianity only for monks, missionaries, and pastors. Brokenness and being poured out is Christianity 101. The call of Christ is a call to die. Allow God to break you and go to God with your brokenness. Life will break us down and God is there to lift us up. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads right there where you are. And we're going to have a word of prayer. As you bow right there in your seats. I just want to ask you honestly, between you and God, are you ready to pray that prayer? Are you desiring to ask God to break you? Are you praying, God, I want to be broken of my pride, broken of my sinfulness, broken of my arrogance, my self-will. I want to be broken of my, my visions of what this life is supposed to be like. I want to be broken so that I can be poured out so that I can be filled. Are you ready to take a dangerous step? Are you ready to stop praying just the safe prayers, which those are fine, but are you ready to pray a prayer that will shake the very core of your life? If you are ready, then don't wait. We're going to stand in just a moment. There'll be a song of invitation. If you feel led of God to pray this prayer, then I don't want you to look at anybody else. I don't want you to ask anybody else. I don't want you to think about anyone else. I want you to think about you. And if you're ready to pray that prayer, maybe you'd come and pray that prayer this morning. Maybe you would pray, Lord, as hard as it is, and not knowing what it's going to look like, I pray you'd break me. I pray that I'd pour everything out in an act of worship. That you'd be glorified in my life. Maybe you're here and you've gone through seasons of brokenness and you know God is shaking you and taking you through things, but you know that he was with you. He never left you or forsook you. Maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for breaking me of that addiction, that sin, that issue, and thank you for filling me when I needed to be filled. Lord God, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you that when life attacks and breaks us down, that you're there to pick us up. we also thank you Lord that in our walk with you that there are times that you lovingly and graciously and even gently you break us Lord in the season it's not desirable we don't want it but you do it for your glory and our blessing fill us now Lord as we've been broken and poured out may we come and pray and seek you we ask this in Jesus name amen would you stand to your feet if that's you this morning you want to come and pray. We've got men and women up front. They love to pray with you, encourage you, and support you through this. But if you want to come and pray, pray that dangerous prayer. Don't wait. Take the step. Lord, break me, and I might be poured out and filled with you. You respond. Come. Don't wait. Come and pray that prayer.